You think that you are the number one dad? No offense, Homer, but your half-assed underparenting was a lot more fun than your half-assed overparenting. But I'm using my whole head. No wire My father would womanize, he would drink. He would make outrageous claims like he invented the first Hi, Mama. It's Lynn. Let's get it, Chuck. There's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. From your vantage point, Amanda, in our home office, how many pieces of Seinfeld stuff can you see? Iconography? Sure. Um, at least three. I see the puffy shirt yes. under glass. Yes. <laughs> yes. I see that as well. Uh, a pair of high top sneakers. Those are Nike uh, SC trainers. Uh, in the Jerry Seinfeld white, they're also an homage to Bo Jackson. They're big 90s energy over there. And also I see a signed photo of the cast. That's right. That one's a little bittersweet because it is courtesy of my late friend, Mike. Um, but yeah, as you can tell by my office or, or the office, um, Jerry Seinfeld and the show Seinfeld are things that mean a lot to me. So we mentioned last week that like television was our third parent basically mm-hmm. this is one of my dads um, <laughs> <laughs> right so um my i started getting into like the idea of stand-up comedy in sixth grade and my mom was very awesome like took me to see shows had a real interest in it loved jerry seinfeld because he worked clean and was like really smart mm-hmm. um which sticks out to me every time i watch the show so being it, smart or clean uh, it's not clean. It's not. But clean. it is smart, it I is think. Smart. It yeah. like it passes itself off as being dumb and about nothing, but it's really not, huh? Mm-hmm. Um so this it means a lot to me. Um it became a conduit for a lot of my relationships, right? Like, you know, before memes were a meme, you could quote things, right? As oh, a shorthand. Absolutely. To yeah. connect with people. 90% of my personality. <laughs> well, right. That's it's interesting you say that because when we started dating, I know that watching Seinfeld was important to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned in uh, one of our past episodes that our local Fox syndicate had an hour-long block of The Simpsons followed by an hour-long block of Seinfeld. And both were part of our weekly family ritual of sitting down to dinner in front of the TV. <laughs> mm-hmm. Both are shows that enjoyed uh, incredible, frankly, unparalleled success in syndication because of when they happened to come out in TV history. There were a lot of mm-hmm. local stations, like you say, looking for content in the early, late um, early and late 90s and reruns of The Simpsons, reruns of the Sein- of Seinfeld in syndication packages like that were very, very popular and made the creators a great deal of money. Um, so that's interesting. But for our relationship, you wanted to watch it so that we could have some of the same inside jokes, right? And Yeah, I, I had um, watched Seinfeld um, growing up, but... It wasn't something like The Simpsons where I knew the ins and outs of every episode and had fallen asleep listening to the commentary (laughs) tracks of uh, the episode DVDs. So being able to start at the beginning of Seinfeld, which felt really relevant when we started dating because it is about people living in their late 20s in a city, it it was a, a nice dovetail to where I was at, and um, I think also great to 
have an entire series to um, have as like a backbone of a relationship. Like you have songs and albums and there's also shows and movies. For sure. For sure. I mean, I brought that Simpsons knowledge, obviously, to our relationship, but Mm -hmm. to now be able to say to you, like, shut up, you old bag. And you not only don't get offended, but you know, I'm obviously talking about like Nancy Pelosi or something like that. Uh, it's An nice to have bag. that shorthand, right? It's almost like our own secret, secret language. Yeah. And I think a lot of Seinfeld, um, when I was younger, got lost on me because it is very New York. Sure. Um, but like a lot of the things are familiar as like, Eastern European stuff too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. it's a weird mix. Well, and narcissism, which yes, we're both very yes, steeped very in, very familiar. <laughs> um, so we're uh, because of the season, we're going to do the Festivus episode. It's season nine, episode ten. Um, oddly enough, named the strike. They they admit freely they would have named it the Festivus if they'd known culturally what was going to happen. Um, it's available if you want to watch it on Hulu. I think it'll be on Netflix soon after the end of the year. Um, and it originally aired December 18th, 1997. Mm. Um, I was a senior in high school. I was ready to go to college. I was, I was. ready to get out of my family. 11 um, years old and ugh. probably equally ready to get out of my family. That's probably true. <laughs> That's probably very true, right? Uh, George running from his history, very much uh, related to me at the, at the time I watched this. Uh, it was directed by Andy Ackerman, who did much of the series. He also did a lot of my favorite show, News Radio. Uh, it was written by Alec Berg, Jeff Schaefer, and most importantly, Dan O'Keefe. Mr. Um, Berg. <laughs> Mr. Berg. Uh, and it is based on O'Keefe's father's idea. He actually celebrated Festivus um, and, like, gets off on the fact that it's a thing now. Um, O'Keefe, for what it's worth, the kid didn't want to, by all accounts on the DVDs, didn't want to do the story. Yeah. And people were like, no, you have to share that with the masses. <laughs> Which is, so I, I guess, for better or worse, right? Yeah. I mean, like you said, his dad feels vindicated by it. So I don't know if that's uh, how uh, how he wanted it to work out. Um, in terms of just silly trivia, there's a cameo in this episode. Tracy Letts plays the counter guy uh, at the betting parlor Lane goes to, and he won a 2008 uh, Pulitzer Prize for drama for his play August Osage County, which they made into a 2013 movie with Meryl Streep and George Clooney. Mm-hmm. I can tell by your enthusiasm. You love. <laughs> no, I'm sure it was lovely. It just, I mean, I've, I've also seen the... Uh... Uh, ad on the Steppenwolf Theater a million times on my commute to work on the Brown Lines. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I am aware that it exists. <laughs> All right, so the plot of this episode, classic Seinfeld fashion, four stories in 24 minutes. Uh, Jerry dates a Two-Face. Elaine needs um, to get back with a guy she gave her fake number to so she can get a, her sub card <laughs> punched and get a free sub. Uh, Kramer goes back to work at H&H Bagels after being on strike. And George reluctantly celebrates Festivus. So, obviously, the lingering element in the culture of this episode is Festivus. A Festivus for the rest of us. Um, it was conceived as an alternative to the commercialization of Christmas. The religious and commercialization. That's, the religious aspects right. and the commercialization aspects. Well, you can't let You're those like, Christians get a hold of Christmas. That would be a real disaster. <laughs> Which, like, I... Agree with in like I know we'll get to Let's it. Save but. our our <laughs> incredible praise for the idea of a festivus <laughs> type holiday uh, for for our good parenting segment. But okay, in terms of other elements of of the this culture, 
um, it's or this holiday uh, observance. It's uh, December twenty third. You don't use a tree. You use an aluminum pole. Um, and the, the customs include the airing of grievances and the feats of strength. Um, so that's all obviously very silly, but we're talking about a show that hasn't aired in 23 years. And like, this is still people, Festivus is going to be all over the internet, right? It's one of the reasons we're posting this on the day we're posting this. Yeah. Um, is because this is still something that lives on. Ben and Jerry's made an ice cream flavor. Mm-hmm. That's how you know you made it. You made it, right? <laughs> they retired it, though, now, right? Um, I think so, I think yeah. we should have some cute name for it that I'm blanking on. But so this is a show that builds itself as being about nothing. And I think if you told the writers of this episode we were going to talk about it in any critical sense or parental sense, they would laugh their asses off and think we're wasting our time. But I think it obviously has greater meaning than nothing or it mm-hmm. wouldn't still be a 40 million dollar a year industry right, right? And they, w- they wouldn't have made it if it didn't mean something sure you know? of course like of course. i mean i think their flip about it being nothing and maybe glib too but like I, it obviously meant enough to put it out to spend eight hours and they talk about the one like Three minute scene at the end of the the episode, taking the dinner party scene. The dinner party scene taking eight hours of filming, like which is unheard of for a network comedy scene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a ludicrous amount of time. So there's obviously some vested interest in this beyond making money. And right. I know, uh, you know, Jerry Seinfeld would tell you it's just to be funny, and I'm sure it's mm-hmm. funny. But there's some greater truth here, I think, to mm-hmm. not just this episode but the series. And so I would say that to juxtapose it with The Simpsons, right, they're both comedies. They Mm -hmm. both poke fun at what it is to be a person. I think the underlying premise of The Simpsons is that people are ridiculous but basically Mm good-hearted, right? I think that sort of runs through everything. Like, aren't people just the dumbest but they mean well? Yeah, and and, um, they're family, which means something to Mm -hmm. each other. And, I mean, even when there's a lot of uh, strife, and heartache, there's also a lot of beautiful moments and tender moments. Sure. Absolutely. Seinfeld similarly <laughs> thinks people are ridiculous, but I think it is people are inherently selfish and out for their own self-interest. Yeah, right? which I think, again, is the narcissistic personality mm-hmm. disorder. But, but I think both equally true and observable sure. like in America, right? In the yeah. world we've brought our, our kid into and the world we live into as, as parents and children ourselves. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And then the last little tidbit of trivia I'll give to frame our discussion here is that Jerry Seinfeld is the adopted son of two orphans. Mm-hmm. Right? So f- f- the very concept of family to him is very different and yeah. uh, than, than it is obviously for you or me. Um and we'll get into sort of some of that, I'm sure, mm-hmm. uh, as we talk about this. So anything else you want to say about the show in general before we go on to talk about more granular stuff in the parenting? No. Very good. <laughs> Excellent radio. Uh, so the mamas and the papas is our category here for the parents. Yeah. Uh, the literal parents in this episode. There's only two of them. Well, I would say, so the episode opens at a Hanukkah party. Um, and Jerry's first line is about how, like, the holiday holidays are easy if you don't have the parents. You know, mm-hmm. like, it's. Mm-hmm. I think he says, um, 
Like they're they're a breeze without parents. Sure, sure. So, like, and Tim Wiley seems like he's having a pretty good time <laughs> yeah. without his parents. That the guy was basking in the buffer zone. You're right. If exactly. anybody ever did. Uh, so um, <clears throat> the literal parents in this episode. It's interesting you mentioned that. I didn't catch that as the opening line, but I think mm-hmm. it's going to be important as we talk about this. Yeah. Um, the literal parents are Frank and Estelle, mm-hmm. and Frank is such an enormous Energy. presence in this yeah. episode. Um, there's some bad stuff we'll obviously get to, right? But um, there's some great stuff I think we'll get to. First and foremost, making up a holiday. <laughs> He's so prolific. As a protest <laughs> for Christmas. It's so good. I think that's really, like, original thinking and, and what the idea of freedom is. Yeah, yeah. Many Christmases ago, I went to buy a doll for my son. <laughs> I reached for the last one they had. But so did another man. As I rained blows upon him, I realized there had to be another way. What happened to the doll? It was destroyed. But out of that, a new holiday was born. A Festivus for the rest of us. That must have been some kind of doll. She was. The religious and commercial aspects of Christmas are the worst parts of the holiday. I mean, I... Yeah, really. And tinsel. I don't, I, don't, I share his uh, uh, loathing for tinsel. Well, and I, I really recognize and, um, like, the parts of the holiday that I like are all the ones that are attached to, like, the solstice and Yule mm-hmm. about, like, the season is different and let's observe that together and sure. let's be part of this community and take note of the darkest time right now mm-hmm. and that there is a new light coming. Sure. And I think that's beautiful. And... The I think room. those are the layers of richness and depth that Frank Costanza <laughs> might not, not have, agree no. with or want to see. <laughs> but that's almost what I like about it is it's just an excuse to get together. Sure, yeah. Right, and I think that's uh, kind of important. And, in, you know, as we are kept apart this year on mm. the holidays, I think increasingly sort of you become, you start to recognize the value of those things more and more. Absolutely. Um, when he tells George... Get the pole out of the crawl space. <laughs> that really resonated with me. I'm like, no, you go into this dark, scary area and get it. Did your house have a crawl space? Yes. Did you ever have to go? Or you had brothers? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so living in Illinois, that's where we went for tornadoes. Okay. Okay. So it was functional. Yeah. More than I just mean, on a... Function. I mean, it was a creepy, a dark space. Okay. They're okay. <laughs> like in the back of a closet. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, that was uncomfortable. And then when we moved houses, we had a basement, so we didn't have to all try to get into a crawl space. Yeah. <laughs> we had a crawl space under the house my dad had when I was like seven. So it was the funnest place in the world. Oh yeah! To go under there with a flashlight and like look at why? Well, why isn't the bathroom working? Let's go check it out oh, or whatever. Sure. Yeah, you got to, I got to go under there and do. That's there like no... a magical, like bit of seven-year-old journey. You know? Oh yeah! Like, oh my god! <laughs> to like see a weird. For part. I knew it was going to be the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe right. down there. Like, <laughs> it was going to be a completely different thing. Um, it rang really true to me. When Kramer, as you quoted, was impressed with Frank, mm-hmm. like, you're 
my friends were always sort of impressed with my dad because he's such an, an enormous presence, right? And, mm-hmm. and it's like, no, that's not been my experience of it. But mm-hmm. to the observer, you know, I guess it's yeah, the same. Show. The same with my dad. I mean, he is such like a happy, funny, uh, energetic personality, especially outside the home. But it mm-hmm. was like. Oh, that doesn't carry over, you know, all the time. Right, right, right? Right. I wish she was that person all the time. Right. Well, it's hard to be switched on, you know, even in, in our own parenting, like there are days we just don't have it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, I see, I see what you're saying. Um, similarly, Frank not knowing Elaine. When he oh goes, my God. Hello, that woman. Yeah. <laughs> that rang really true to like my dad at one point. My absolute best friend in the world for a long time, who I, you know, lived with in college, lived with after college. My dad, at one point when I was like 20, is like, hey, you still hanging out with that guy? Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I would, I, like, Frank's also, his his description of um, leading up to the creation of Festivus mm-hmm. about getting a doll for his son, which I think is really sweet. Frank's insistence that they had a good time. Even though, excuse me, even though it's obvious they didn't, right? Even though George runs out crying and hates that this is his past. I thought that rang very fatherly. Yes, absolutely. Well, happy Festivus. What is that? Is that the poll? George, Festivus is your heritage. It is part of who you are. That's why I hate it. And um, dragging the pole into the diner. And presumably from all around New York. That from felt- Bayside or wherever they had to move yeah. after they were ran out of Bayside, right? Yeah, on the subway. Every, that's very dad. You're right. Of just no, this has to be done. I don't care. I'm gonna just drag us through the city. Right, things gotta get. It's gotta get here. Um, who else was a parent in this? That's, do you have anything else for Frank? Nothing else for Frank, but Estelle. Um, as another literal parent, um, when everybody arrives at, at uh, the Costanzas for Festivus dinner, Estelle has made an entire meal for everybody. And even though it looks disgusting, it looks horrible. <laughs> there's food for everybody. I did like the little detail that George takes it from her and puts it on the plate, on the table. Yes. And that's like, he's helping. Yes, exactly. Um, and I th- and she, um, when they are... When they, like, cut out of that scene and you still hear the conversation of what's going on at Festivus dinner, you hear Estelle say, ah, I think you could take him, Georgie. Right. She's <laughs> she's encouraging but not protective, right? She she seems like, oh, you know, you shouldn't have to do this. But she doesn't shield him from any of Frank's ridiculousness. No. Yeah. Which I think is pretty bad parenting. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and I'll give you credit when I'm... I don't think I'm quite as irate or ridiculous as Frank Costanza, <laughs> but when my inner Frank Costanza comes out, I think you do an excellent job of being like, hey, buddy, calm down. Yeah, <laughs> Instead of Estelle time. very clearly is like, well, I defend my husband, George, go fuck yourself. Exactly. Right? And, and, That's um, how you have George Costanza. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a different, we're doing things differently than the Costanzas. There we go. It's good Got to know. one up on them. Um, so we talked about TV. Well, were there any other parents on this? There weren't, right? Not literal ones. No, I don't think so. All right. We talked about this idea of TV being our third parent and mentioned watching it during dinner and in our homes. And one of the unique things about the art form of television is that we do beam it into our homes, right? We watch it in 
intimate places. We watch it in our bedrooms. We watch it in our living room, surrounded by loved ones and often with a family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the aspects of this art form is that for TV to be successful, there tends to be or needs to be some quasi-family staring back at you, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And so in sitcoms, you often find them constructed in this way uh, of even if it's not a family, you can interpret it as a figurative family, right? So The Office or 30 Rock or even Seinfeld. Um, and it's this old, old, old theory of, of drama that goes back to, um, you know, the 1300s in Italy. Um, but the, the basic premise is for these four characters to populate the drama, the patriarch, the matriarch, the craftsman, and the clown. And so the characters with some authority are the patriarch and the matriarch. And the patriarch, uh, they carry the intellectual weight of the show. They're the central authority among the quasi-family. So Homer Simpson is literally this on The Simpsons, Carrie on Sex and the City, Hannah on Girls, and Jerry on Seinfeld, right? Mm -hmm. As you might imagine, when the show is based on a stand-up, they're usually (laughs) the the, um, patriarch character. So the matriarch carries the heart of the show. Um, And they often reflect the emotional voice of the show or emotional sort of center of the show. Um, This would be Marge on Many Simpsons. This would be Charlotte on Sex and the City, Marnie on Girls, and Elaine on most episodes of Seinfeld. The craftsman is a schemer. This is someone who has trouble with reality, right? They Uh seek to unmake it or they seek to obscure it or they seek to sort of create their own reality. Bart Simpson does this a lot. Miranda on Sex and the City with her very sort of rigorous view of the world. Uh, Jessa on Girls with her very free-spirited view of the world. Uh, And George on many, many, many Seinfeld episodes. He's a schemer. This one included, right? He's (laughs) he's a schemer. Uh, And then the clown is a wild card. uh, Oddballer and outcast among this group, but also in many other places. Uh, So Lisa Simpson on The Simpsons, her genius goes unnoticed. Um, Samantha on Sex and the City is a... Um, you know, a crackpot, uh, sexpot type version of this type of clown. Um, similarly, uh, but the reverse side of that, Shoshana's naivety on girls uh, is is clownish. And then Kramer with his hair, with his physicality, is very literally clownish on, on many balls. episodes of Seinfeld, right? Yes. His entrances. And so I think that paradigm suits this episode really, really well. Mm-hmm. I think you can look at Jerry's two-faced girlfriend uh, as a symbol uh, for family and the nature of family relationships. Obviously, I don't think any of the writers intended this, mm-hmm. right? But when you're coming from a place of honesty, I think truth comes out. Yeah, and writer's intent is nothing. Not Sorry, writers. Right? If they gave it to us, we'll ruin it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so it, it's it's our job to suck all the fun out of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I, I think that that's how a family can be, though, right? That sometimes it's gorgeous and you want to show it off and you're happy to be seen with it. And other times... Ah! Bad lighting on the porch. And I, I think that there's... I mean, like, the disgust and the joy of being a human in this world um, is all apparent and evident in family. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's all of life's best and worst parts all get smushed up together in there. Sure, sure. And Have you ever had this experience with a two-face? Whether it's a, a romantic partner or somebody at work who sometimes looks attractive, sometimes doesn't, or sometimes... I, I would say um, the two-face is more of a, a personality thing where somebody is wonderful and lovely and outgoing um, in public. Uh mm-hmm. And then not in private. Like my dad would be 
we'd see his sisters and he'd be delightful center of attention storyteller we'd get back in the car and it would be like you guys are being too loud shut up (laughs) so we'd get very different version a more you know a a more full version of a person but a very different person sure sure um that's interesting how about you in terms of two faces i mean i used to drink a lot and meet women (laughs) So, I don't know how much of that was their fault and how much of it was mine. I mean, I will say, too, like, in internet app dating, that would come up. all the time. I mean, it was, I remember that from, like, oh, look at the cropping here, you know. (laughs) Right. like that. What are we hiding? Right, exactly. Um, I thought that the Elaine storyline, in terms of being the matriarch, or or sort of to the extent there's a heart here, Mm -hmm. the heart of the show... Her So her story is that she's got to get these stamps on this card to get a free sub, and the card uh, has ended up um, in the hands of someone she gave her fake number to, right? But I think getting the stamps just out of momentum and obligation yeah. for more of the same... I will say... Very much like being in a bad family. Yeah, oh my God, yes. And I, I like, the first time I... Uh, watched this episode or I mean watched it with any um you know uh, perceptive ones was like oh that's this is so unrealistic why would she waste her time and then it's like the emotionality she puts into this Mm -hmm. stupid card she says like I've eaten a lot of crap to get where I am today and she's at the end of it is just more crap it's more crap you're not getting anything out of it although Jerry does say he asks if there's a captain's hat involved and she did yours but like I also found that very interesting because I think Seinfeld, um, Jerry Seinfeld specifically, and the show, it leans into, like, misogynistic worldview a lot. Okay. Without ever really, I mean, not, I don't think, purposefully, and not because I think he thinks women are less than, um, but because that is the world he grew up in. Sure, sure, sure. And this specifically, in this episode, I think shows that. When, in what way? Um, the Elaine going to the OTB Mm -hmm. and those guys propositioning her for her number is scary. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a little funny, but it's also scary. And she's surrounded by all of these dudes. Everyone in the building knows who she is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, you can see her kind of like her body language shows sure. something. I mean, because Julia Louis-Dreyfus is a wonderful actress. Of course. And, like, we know on Seinfeld nobody's ever in real danger. Um, but, like, that that to me, I think... I mean, Jerry also has a joke about, like, laundry detergent getting blood out. And he's like, who needs that? Like, take the harpoon out of your back. Or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. Jerryism mm-hmm. that comes from that. Um I don't know. People have periods. <laughs> that sure. seems like the most obvious one where it's just like he just doesn't comprehend life from another perspective than his on sure. those things. And I think his dating life shows that, too. He was dating, you know, being an adult man, dating 17 year old girls. Mm-hmm. He, you know, couldn't handle what it was like to be with an adult woman his own age. Well, sure. And that's ultimately a big part of the show is his inability to have relationships. Yeah. Um, I, that's, I had not thought about that misogynist element to it, but it definitely made me think about 
a phone number in a different way. Mm. And like what an intimate thing that is to have someone's phone number. Well, and I mean, if you've ever had a stalker, like shit, that's terrifying. Yeah, it's pretty scary. <laughs> yep. Um, bringing it back into lighter stuff, are you a, a, a punch card person? I currently have an Amy's Candy Punch card <laughs> sitting above our uh, whiteboard in the kitchen. Did we bring it the last time we, we went? We did not. We have two Amy's Punch cards. <laughs> like each a quarter punched. Yeah. I have like three different coffee shops down in the loop when we used to go to actual places to work. For work, I had uh, their punch cards, but I'm not. I would never keep it to all the way through. Yeah, I, um, as a barista in college, um, we had the, a regular shaped puncher that we used to punch cards and we used to always just pocket fully punched cards and like hand them out to people and, you know, use them for free drinks. to the man. Yeah. The man being like a 24 year old woman, but yes, (laughs) as our manager. (laughs) It's very good, low-level sort of corporate terrorism. Sure. I like that. Um, I thought that the Kramer going back to work um, was a little bit like returning to my family after not seeing them for a while. Mm. I just realized, like, oh, I guess life has gone on without me. You know, when he sees the cinnamon raisin bagels and things like that. I won't go so far as to say prodigal son, but it felt very... (laughs) Uh, I I could relate to it. You know, this idea of, oh, I'm... Apparently not the main character of all of existence. <laughs> yeah, Nate Dewitt, protagonist of the universe. <laughs> uh, you mentioned being a barista. Did you? What did you make? Did you make minimum wage at that time? Yes, I did. What was it uh, in that era? I don't remember. All right. Well, here are some numbers <laughs> for you. In this, it's just been raised to five thirty-five. In today's money, that is uh, eight dollars and sixty-seven cents an hour. What do you think minimum wage actually is in the state of New York? I was surprised by this. Seven twenty-five. Eleven bucks an hour. Oh, well, that's still terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's still terrible, but it oh wasn't the damning economic evidence I expected to find. Well, here's what is: uh, somebody did the math on um, a Christmas. St- what's the Dickens one? Um, a Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Cratchit makes like five bobs a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. And somebody did the math. That person would make nearly thirty thousand dollars a year, and minimum wage gets you like seventeen thousand dollars a year. So people are living in excruciating poverty when like Cratchit is like the the noted person living in poverty. People in the United States live below that. So. Let me get off my soapbox. <laughs> Not very Seinfeldian. No. <laughs> overt well, statement and acknowledgement of suffering. And I love Kramer in this episode going to H and H and then like doing a little bit of corporate sabotage mm-hmm. <laughs> over like mm-hmm. opening a steam valve and the other guy's like, no, we can still make it just a little steamy. Just a little steamy. <laughs> He's so inept in, in such a wonderful way. And, like, him returning to work as being returning to family is very interesting, too. Like, going back to, um, you know, like, putting on something that no longer quite fits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, oh, boy. Or, like, I remember as a kid, like, pulling out a bunch of my toys to play with them and being like, I don't even know what to do. You know, because sure, I was, sure. like, I 12 or something. Right. Yeah. Right. And I was just like, oh, this isn't fun. Yeah, there's a real tension there, and I could definitely relate to it. Um, George's whole plot is about eluding his own reality. 
mm. right, as the, the craftsman um, here. And I think, um, you know, he's running from all the stuff he hates, uh, which I think is a lot of people's adult life and, frankly, a lot of New Yorkers' adult life where you sort of go to the city and you make your own little family. Yeah. Um, whether it's this group or the group from friends or like, you know, a real group of actual humans. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's a thing that actually happens. Um, did you see other pseudo family relationships in this? Um, no, I mean, I think the whole, uh, cast, like the, when they arrive at Frank and, and Frank and Estelle's, for Festivus had real big family arrival energy. That's more like, siblings. So let me, the only other like parental thing I saw is Kruger as a sort of the dad George has always wanted, who just leaves him alone. Yeah, that's right, true. For the most part. And is just hands off and like, you know, he, he huh. says in another episode that he's the boss he's always wanted. He can run hog wild in there. Well, right. And like Kruger locks himself on out of his office and he's like, well, I better go home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. That's very big George energy, too. Yeah. And I think we, for better or worse, tend to replicate a lot of the same dynamics of our family at work. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Absolutely. Particularly when we're not paying attention to it. No, in terms of sibling stuff, I think you're absolutely right. Like, it felt very familial, that gathering at the end of it, even though it's like the sort of mixed uh, family and friends. Did you have big gatherings of family and friends, or were yours family only, or how was it at your house? Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, it was um, family. Uh, and then as we got older, friends were involved, but only, but not for like, Actual, you know, capital H holidays like mm-hmm. Christmas and Easter and uh, Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Those were all family only. But like, oh, it's somebody's graduation. All the friends can come. Sure. <laughs> well, and once your brothers dated, they had girlfriends who were like family, right? Yes. Yeah. That happened very quickly in our, our house. Again, narcissistic personality. The other <laughs> thing that felt really siblingish was just to me Elaine giving out a fake phone number. Mm. I could see my sisters doing that for sure. I, I think also um, Elaine and George's relationship, where Elaine is um, antagonistic to him about Festivus. What is Festivus? It's nothing. It's nothing. When George was growing Jerry, up, no. his father no. hated all the commercial and religious aspects of Christmas, yeah. so he made up his own holiday. Oh, and another piece of the puzzle falls into place. All right. And instead of a tree, didn't your father put up an aluminum pole? Oh, Jerry, no. stop it. And then weren't there feats of strength that always ended up with you crying? I can't huh? anymore. I'm going to work. You have me now. <laughs> Yeah, that kind of teasing um, feels very sibling. Sure, like the the um, rivalry and all of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's very very familial. That's a good point. Now, did you see any bad parenting in this episode? <laughs> no, none. No, look all like tip top to me. <laughs> yeah, I, all of it. <laughs> well, let's, okay, first I, let's talk about sort of pseudo parenting and that it's it's management of something you're uh, sort of supposed to steward. George and the Human Fund. Oh, yeah. Comment on that as a woman who works in nonprofit <laughs> well, fundraising. Well, I mean, the start when he gets um, something from Tim Watley, and it is a donation in his honor um, to a children's charity, and 
George's reaction is an eye for an eye. <laughs> like, <laughs> you gave my gift to someone else. Yeah. <laughs> he, like, that, where, and then he says, like, where's the spirit of Christmas? Like, completely missing the spirit mm-hmm. of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I, I mean, I think I think not participating in a holiday gift exchange is totally fine. I think sure. lying about giving a gift in someone's honor is different. But he could have made a $25 gift and then mm-hmm. handed out those things to, for everyone in the office. He didn't have to disclose what the oh, amount that's was. A good, that's a good little loophole there. Right? right. Like, One gift, multiple cards. Thinking like the George schemer. Mm-hmm. Um, his scam, though, when he imagines life as a, ther- as a philanthropist, how everyone... <laughs> He Everyone can give the me. money to the people he wants to, and then they'll owe him big time. And the first thing he's going to need is a driver. I think I would be amazing. a kick-ass philanthropist. I'd have all of this money, and people would love me. That's what he says. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, what he describes as love is him, like, ha- lording over resources over other people. Which is, again, what we see with, like, Frank and Estelle and George. Of course. Like, but it's not actually love. George... Running away when they say, when Frank is like, Festivus is your heritage. It's part of who you are. And George is like, that's why I hate it. And runs out. And Frank just could not paying any attention to this at all is is horrible. Uh, and they're real, a real problem in their relationship. But for me, the ultimate worst, and thankfully we don't see it, is on the tape. I brought one of the cassette tapes. Read that poem. I can't read it. I need my glasses. You don't need glasses. You're just weak. You're weak. Leave him alone. <laughs> that was, that's horrible. That's, right? I mean, yeah. I, I Like, the glimpses we get of George's childhood throughout the series, but, like, in this episode in particular, um, really point to why he is the way he is. <laughs> why he would think, he like, being a philanthropist would solve all his problems. Why, you know, all of those things. And again, I think why he's he's awful at work and why um, that gets replicated in those relationships as well. Sure. Why he struggles. It's, yeah. It's no mystery once we meet Frank and Estelle. Yeah. And I remember hearing that, like, Estelle um, was originally the character that she is, um, but they were planning on Frank being, like, a more reserved character. But then Jerry Stiller came in and just was Frank Costanza. And so, like, they amplified each other sure. instead of providing, like, a, like balance. Mm-hmm. And they, I served think it, they served comedic purposes, I'm sure. Yeah. And ended up creating something amazingly rich in meaning in the process. Absolutely. Um, all right. So I think we've covered the bad parenting. I think there are also despite the creator's intentions, moments of, of really good relationship work and really good parenting in this. Um, one minor one being, I like that George brings his mail. Yeah. I to, think the, that's to the table with Jerry. Like, I'm relationships get to stale. Yeah. <laughs> what the, like, you and I sit now, especially in quarantine, and eat like three meals a day with each other. Yeah. We're out of stuff to talk about. Right? We're, you got to talk about your day. Small talk is done. <laughs> Uh, oh, we'll do that episode eventually on, <laughs> in a later one where Kramer gives his version of what a marriage is. Um, I think as a concept, an anti-commercial version of Christmas that's non-denominational, reason to gather, 
in thanks or in uh, December. I think that's really great. Yeah, me too. I think All that's right. very smart. Yeah, I think having, um, I think noting the season is something that we don't really do a lot of about being connected to the world and to nature and to where we are. And if we get to note like, oh, this is the time that the sun is at the lowest point in our sky and gives us the longest night of the year. I think that's great. I think that that's really grounding and healthy. I think it's not healthy to have feats of strength attached to it. Um, well, all right, this gets into my uh, biggest sort of takeaway from this, which is I think Festivus is a really good idea. I think the airing um, of grievances is a great idea. The airing of grievances, <laughs> especially the feats of strength, I agree, is too far, but airing of grievances is genuinely genius. Yeah, I think so too. Like, I mean, it brings the concept of a uh, house meeting mm-hmm. to like ever gather everybody. Let's talk about how we're doing. Mm-hmm. What, what I mean, that's how we, you know, we have check-in points where we do coffee check-ins and see where the house is and where we are and just what's going on. And I mean, that's our weekly airing of grievances. <laughs> Where you have a performance review at work, mm-hmm. right? Where you get honest and legitimate feedback on how you're doing. In, in This year we had an election. It's the airing of grievances of the people with those in power, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's a really important thing. I think in Frank's design, though, I don't think it's as egalitarian <laughs> as either you or I <laughs> are imagining. Because he goes, I got a lot of problems with you people. Yeah. It's not we're going to discuss everyone's shortcomings and... The way we've disappointed each other. Um, but it is one of the problems we talk about in, in a relationship is, well, how do you want me to communicate when you've disappointed me? Yeah. Right? How how can I make me telling you you've let me down or vice versa easier on you? And it's not easy. Not at all. But yeah. I think... I mean, my... I. As your partner, the thing I want to do the most is to please you, and the thing I want to do the least is disappoint you. And mm-hmm. it breaks my heart when I do that, but that's the only way that you become a stronger couple and a better person is by hearing the ways that um, you can change your own performance and who you are, you and know? Growth, I would say... Personal growth. <laughs> one of the things I think you like about me is I'm... I will air some... Boy, will you ever. Not just about you and our relationship, but I think I give you a freedom to be angry in a way you've never been allowed to be angry. And like when our kid got bit at her old school Mm -hmm. and they gave us this song and dance about how she needed to be tougher. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, you needed, I think, me to be like, no, they're victim blaming. Yeah, no, that's shit. Yeah, exactly. And I think I offer you the softening and heart of like the world's not just out to get you. There's beauty and depth and, and things like that in the world too. Sure, and, and positivity and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's definitely true. And I, I think um, this show is really interesting from a familiar perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think this show is a lot of characters who don't do enough honest airing of grievances, right? There's a lot of, like, doing things for the sake of show or because that's what you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, it gets, just gets all bottled up. 
Yeah, yeah. Right? And you I mean, up- even Kramer by the end of the episode is like, well, this is a little out there. <laughs> he, he witnessed it. He thought it was a good idea, but then he participated and witnessed it, mm-hmm. and he was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, not, not as advertised, right? right. Yeah. Not as advertised at all. Um, but I think if you... If you, when you let that stuff bottled up, that's when it gets really dangerous. So I think that, um, you know, the airing of grievances is a good... And not only dangerous, but it, it's not real. It's not actual connection. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. people being together. It's not the thing that they are striving for in having Festivus, which is about connection from what it's... Frank has said originally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this show's concept of relationships is really interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's very much... They don't matter except the four of us. Right, yeah. Right, like Jerry has a disposable, literally disposable cast of girlfriends. Yeah. There seems to be this prevailing sense that people are the worst. It's literally like a, a category on the, the finale when they're showing clips of the series. <laughs> and uh, yet this group is, uh, you can't prime apart. Yeah. Um, and that I kind of like, mm-hmm. you know. I, I like how connected they feel and I aspire to elements of that for a family. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I mean, about having a community, like those are the people you're going to stand behind even when they are, you know, not being their best selves. When they'll go to your house for your dumb family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any uh, grievances you want to air in the spirit of festivals? On air? Yeah, put the freaking toilet paper on the toilet paper roll. Like, I do that all the time. My grievance aired on air. I'll do it when you empty the dishwasher. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. All right. Sounds like it was another year of perfect partnering for both of us. (laughs) I, I would also, like, one joke that I just would love to mention before we sign off was, um, Elaine putting a bet on a horse when she's at the OTB and she's sitting at dinner and she goes, Hey, how did my horse do? He had to be shot. <laughs> Perfect Robinson. ending for Festivus. Yep. <laughs> All right, everybody have a happy Festivus and we'll talk to you next time.